With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And join me for this episode is Will Miles from ReadAndReaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, man, that was a uh, that was a fun one in the swamp. A, a couple of days later, Gator Nation still buzzing from the big win over Auburn. Yeah, they should be. I mean, this is one of those where you know you point early in the season and say, you know, or even in the off season and say, where does the season really start? And we sort of looked at it and said, obviously, the Miami opener. You know, you, you sort of get a gauge for where the team is, and I know some fans were disappointed with where Florida is, but you know, to come out of the Auburn game six and zero, that's all you can do. And and certainly to come out of it in a way where the turnovers, I think, are disturbing, but the result in terms of being able to really dominate Auburn and that game wasn't anywhere near as close as the score indicates at the end of the game. So um, good things ahead, I think. I think it's certainly representative that Mullen is building his culture there and, and a very positive result there, obviously, in the swamp. Absolutely. We'll get into all that that we were just brought up. Dan Mullen, what he means to Florida's program right now. Uh, the big win over Auburn. We'll look ahead to LSU a little bit uh, as well. And uh, we'll release a really good article on Read and Reaction. We'll hop into that a little bit, too, and some of the little things that may be added up to Florida uh, to get that big win over Auburn and heading into the uh, LSU game. A couple shout-outs here. Uh, first of all, to Kevin Rowell. Uh, he got really sick last week, friend of mine. Uh, there was unable to attend the Auburn game, so he passed his tickets on to me. Uh, so my, me and my friend uh, George uh, and I had much better seats than than we originally did. So thanks to Kevin there uh, for the ticket upgrade, and uh, also it was fun to hop on uh, the Facebook group uh, of Gator fans from Gator Nation Buzz and, and look back at the big win over Auburn. So Bobby Alexander, Lucas Mann, and Zach Borthwick uh, do a great job keeping fellow Gator fans informed, and I was glad uh, they invited me to come on and talk there. So uh, big thanks, big shout-outs uh, there to, to those guys. Before we dive into the episode, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, like so many of you are doing right now live so thank you so much for that 
when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Later this week, don't forget, Talking with Troop. Every week, Ben Troop joins me, a News for Jacks exclusive. And uh, Ben gives his thoughts like only he can. Of course, uh, definitely can't wait to get his thoughts on this big Auburn win and looking forward to the uh, hostile environment of Baton Rouge uh, that the Gators are traveling to, traveling to, to take on LSU. You can get that exclusively at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So, Will, as I said, you know, Austin feeling going around in Gator Nation. Uh, Gators, they've been in the spotlight uh, a lot this season when you really go back and, and looking at it, you know, without really being seen as one of the nation's elite teams so far right now. Uh, starting the season off in week zero, all the all the exclu- uh, exclusivity that, that, that came along with that game, uh, then the the thought from so many that Florida would lose or or needed to be on upset alert versus Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, then starting quarterback Felipe Franks going down and the story of Kyle Trask taking over. Take all that and ball it up with college game day coming into town for homecoming and for the biggest game in the swamp has seen in years versus Auburn. And, and the Gators made a statement that everybody in the college football world got to see. Uh, I think this Auburn game – was very symbolic for the season so far and showing just how resilient these Gators are uh, on defense, only giving up six points off of four turnovers from the offense. Speaking of that, uh, speaking of the offense, you know, and, and those turnovers, the way they just kept at it, overcome those turnovers, and also uh, to keep running the offense with Emory Jones after taking over for an injured Kyle Trask and then Kyle Trask coming back and continuing to play well. Uh, this team just keeps showing – just how resilient they are, and they're finally getting some due respect. Probably not enough, but some are starting to come around for these Gators. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about them not getting respect at this point. I think they've gotten a lot of respect for beating Auburn. I think there are probably people out there wondering whether Auburn is as good as we thought before before the game. I think that's probably a legitimate gripe, to be honest with you. That that so in the in the breakdown that we had last week and in the article that I wrote sort of previewing the game it was pretty clear that Bo Nix could be you know the question was did he develop against Mississippi State into an elite quarterback or was he somebody that if you forced Auburn to rely on him that he wouldn't be able to win the game and that's really what happened in this that you know I, I diagrammed in the article that came out today but Basically, Florida decided they were going to play. They were going to dare Auburn to run the ball, and they were going to rely on their defensive front to stop it. And they were at a numbers disadvantage up front, and they still stopped it. And they forced Knicks to throw into zone coverages, which is really unusual for Grantham. So it was an interesting, interesting game plan. I think if Knicks burns them, it's something he gets second guessed on all week long. But it obviously was very, very effective. So, you know, and I think Florida came out and played sort of. Um, against Miami, they played – that game was a lot closer than it should have been. Florida was clearly the better team, but I think you look at that score and you go, eh, are they really all that great? And then they were lucky to get out of that Kentucky game. I mean, if, if the field goal if the field goal doesn't get pushed, obviously then then they're coming out of Lexington with a loss. So, but you're going to win those games. In, in special seasons, those kinds of things are going to go your way. And we talked right after that game that they really sort of needed to stop playing with fire in those one-score games, and they've done that since, right? I mean, ever since Kyle Trask took over, they've really been dominating, um, and, and the defense took another step that I don't think I don't think a lot of people saw coming into this one. And the question is just going to be, can they ramp it up even further? Because they're obviously going to have to. Yeah, it was there was the, the, the I think 
the questions that we had going against Auburn, it was especially on defense, the third down defense coming. It, we've seen it kind of rear its head in a few games so far this season. You're coming off a of Towson game where Towson has some success on third down. And of course, Auburn and their success versus Mississippi State. And then all the talk of you know Bo Nix and what he was able to do and the struggles Florida's having on third down. You know, pair that up. A lot of people thought, you know, and Auburn running the ball as well, uh, that they could come in here and enter the swamp and control that side of the ball uh, as well. But then it, it we come out of this game. And for the other side, it was the Auburn defensive you know, off defensive line, defensive front, defense being talked about as one of the nation's best and how it was going to control this game. And, Will, you talked about getting respect out there. A lot of the, a lot of respect, and I did it on the podcast yesterday too, but a lot of respect coming out of this Auburn game. I mean, this Florida defense deserves every accolade they get based off of that performance yesterday, uh, Saturday against Auburn. Absolutely. I mean, the defense played lights out. They executed Grantham's scheme to, you know, better than I thought they would. But I, but I also think that one of the things that we need to be careful of is that people who just look at the score or just look at one particular game like to like to come up with a narrative. And I think if you look at Florida just against just against Kentucky or just against Miami, the narrative is that Florida's overrated. And I understand why you do that, right? I mean, it was frustrating to watch some of those games where you knew they were better than that and they were struggling. But then and the same thing with the defense. Like we talked a little bit about how they've strung drives together where, you know, there'd be three or four third down conversions, but then they would just shut down the opposition for a quarter. And, and, and that would give the offense an opportunity to come back and win the game, particularly in the fourth quarters of games. They've been, they've been particularly locked down there. So you look at the stats and on third down, Florida hasn't been that bad. In fact, I think they were like 38th in the country before this game. So they're probably significantly higher. And, and in the red zone, they've been fantastic. So you sort of look at that and say, okay, the concerns on defense are probably a little bit overblown and certainly don't meet the, don't fit the narrative that people have just because if you watched one quarter and you go, geez, that defense can't get off the field. You forget then that they forced three straight three and outs in the fourth quarter and allow, you know, and allow Kyle Trask to, to bring him back against Kentucky. It's just, it's, it's easy to, it's one of the reasons why you want to look at five or six games worth of stats to, before you really start making conclusions, because you need larger sample sizes to understand that. So I think really what we saw is when Florida's dialed in, when Florida feels like they're challenged and when Grantham has a scheme that can take advantage of the matchups that he has against the opposing offense. And that's what this was here. I mean, I, we talked quite a bit last week about, you know, transitive properties and, and Florida mm-hmm. against Mississippi state. And the reason we did that is we said the matchups are going to dictate how they can, how they can win this game. And I, I mean, Florida absolutely dominated Auburn's offensive line which I don't think is something that most people would have thought coming into this game. I think you might have said it was going to be a draw, best case scenario. It wasn't even close. Florida absolutely dominated it. It set up everything that they could do. All of those plays that I know you and Will talked yesterday about, you know, Marco Wilson making some tackles to stop Bo Nick short, um, the the sweep on with, with Schwartz that they just absolutely blasted him on. I mean, the reason those guys were able to come up and be so aggressive is because they were playing zones behind them and they and they gave them the ability to come up and do that. And so, um, you know, kudos to guys like Adam Schuler and and Kyrie Campbell and those guys up front. James you know, James Houston too, man. Where did he come from? I mean, absolutely. Was a, um, absolutely. I mean, so the front seven was just was dominant and allowed everybody behind them to come up and make those plays. And, you know, 
basically Auburn's entire offense is predicated on getting numbers advantages and taking advantage of it the same way Florida's is. The difference is, is that Auburn couldn't take advantage of those numbers, numbers advantages that they had on offense. I think their longest run was what, like 15 yards. And then they hit the two long passes and that was it. So yeah, I mean, you got to take your hat off, hat off the defense, um, you know, beyond the fake punt that, that that wasn't converted and then the touchdown right after it. I mean, the two field goals that they got were off of turnovers as well, I think. So um, mm-hmm. this could have easily been a shutout if Florida's offense had just held on to the ball. <laughs> Man, yeah, that issue there has got to get figured out there. And of course, we, we talked about it yesterday, of course, but uh, we'll probably get into it a little bit more here as well. But will you release your article at Read and Reaction? And I could not gloss over and I'm going to quote you here, and I'll let you go further. I'll go further with it as well. Quote, Dan Mullen is a wizard. End the quote. <laughs> it, it was it was funny. So I was actually watching the game in my car while my sister was driving me around because my, uh, my grandmother celebrated her 100th birthday this weekend, and then my sister decided to go into labor on Friday. So I've got a new nephew. So we were driving all over. Congratulations. Thank you. We were driving all over the state of – the state of Virginia and the state of Maryland. So I was trying to catch the game in my car and I was a little bit unsure of what he was doing. But when I came back and watched the, watched the replay on my DVR later that day, or, or I guess the next day, um, one thing you could see is that he was utilizing Kyle Pitts in order to open up things underneath. Um, and particularly on the play where they threw the little touchdown to, to, um, to Hammond, where he was matched up with a linebacker. Basically he put Auburn in a no win situation in a bunch of different instances. And, you know, there were actually a couple of running plays where he had four wide receivers spread out to make sure the reason P Ryan hits that big run is because of the formation. It really forced Auburn to have a bunch of their defensive backs up at the, uh, at the top of the formation. And then they run the ball to the weak side and, you know, P Ryan breaks one tackle and off he goes. In fact, if they'd have blocked that perfectly, P Ryan doesn't get touched the entire way. So um, yeah, he just, he has a real knack for being able to isolate the one disadvantage that, that the defense has and really take advantage of it. And, you know, you look at the other side and Malzahn couldn't do that. Right. I mean, Malzon couldn't find one guy he could pick on. I know there was the defensive back that Florida picked on there in the second half quite a bit, got a couple of pass interference penalties. They actually had him matched up with Pitts a lot. And so they were using Pitts as a decoy in the first half. And then in the second half, they just started running back shoulder throws and, and all sorts of stuff. And Pitts is a real matchup nightmare. And Mullen is starting to take advantage of that. And he's starting to take advantage of it because Pitts is becoming at least an adequate blocker. And so the personnel packages that you have to bring onto the field to deal with them are, are, it's a real challenge to guard him in particular, just because of his specific skill set, and then being able to split out P Ryan wide as well. So, um, you know, it's the kinds of things that we saw sort of in the Michigan game last year, where he really started to use his personnel. He's starting to do that again right now, which is exciting because you're only six games in last year, six games in, they were still kind of in, I mean, I think the LSU game is when finally broke out sort of that weird weak side, uh, weak side pitch that they ran once this week for like 10 yards with P Ryan. But that was really the only wrinkle other than the throwback from Kroll that they had against LSU. It was pretty much their standard offense. Um, you know, this game against Auburn, they had a few things in there that were things I hadn't seen before. Um, I haven't seen that four wide formation up at the top while trying to run P run. They were trying to pop a big one and they, they tried it a couple of times. In fact, right after Trask went out, 
was one of the times where they ran that formation as well. And Piran was able to get eight or nine yards on that play too. So um, just a very, very impressive offensive game plan for Mullen. At no point did you feel like Auburn really had any, had any ability to stop Florida. It was more, was Florida going to stop themselves? Yeah. And that was against a defense where they were getting logged coming in and Florida didn't have a chance to block them. Florida didn't have a chance. And you know, as far as the run game goes yeah, before the big run, you know, it wasn't, you know, Florida wasn't running the ball, but uh, you know, to write home anything about, but it was there enough to to kind of you know keep Auburn on us, keep keep that keep that defense on us. Florida wasn't going to sit there and run for a whole you know Florida wasn't going to run for two hundred yards on this Auburn uh, defense there, but uh, enough there to as you mentioned we we mentioned last week they probably have to get creative uh, a bit so we could see you know the outside pitch we we did get to see that uh, and then eventually Michael Piran gets the bus one uh, bust one but. Yeah, I mean, going back uh, to Mullen and everything he's done so far uh, for this program, you know, this the the big game versus Auburn and everything we got pre-game, during the game, post-game, uh, you know, is basically everything Dan Mullen has done in the year and a half uh, he he's been here uh, as the Gators head coach. Three and zero versus the SEC West so far. Will three big wins? He gets another one this weekend, as I tweeted. Things start to get really weird if 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 Mullen goes four and zero versus the SEC West uh, after this weekend coming up, uh, and of course uh, everybody's sharing some kind of thoughts out there. You know, at, at one point uh, at Mississippi State, Dan Mullen was two and sixteen versus ranked opponents. At Florida, Mullen's now four and one versus ranked opponents with three of those four wins against top ten teams. Uh, LSU and Michigan last year, Auburn this year. And, Will, here's a stat that the University of Florida sent out uh, in some of the postgame notes. Florida has 76 offensive touchdowns in Mullen's 19 games as head coach. The Gators scored a total of 76 offensive touchdowns in the 34 games from October 3rd, 2015. That's the Ole Miss game, everybody remembers, through the end of 2017 to the end of McElwain's tenure. So from all the way to the Ole Miss game to the end of 2017, 30, or 76 offensive touchdowns Mullen has already matched at in 19 games. I mean, for what he's been able to do, bringing the Gator standard back, you had top 10 matchup in the Swamp this past week. Game day's in town. So you mentioned Florida's in the spotlight again. You can't speak enough of what Dan Mullen's been able to do for this Gators program in a season and a half. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody ever doubted Mullen's on-field acumen, or if they did, they weren't really they weren't really looking at the realities of things. I mean, in 16, 17, and 18, so that does factor in last year's last year's year with Florida, he went 12 and 8 against top 25 teams. So, you know, that wasn't all at Florida. He obviously went six and one last year, but he went three and four in 2017 and three and three at Mississippi State in 2016. So he's been He's been very, very good. He also went 16 and five against teams that are less talented, and then nine and nine against more talented teams while he was at Mississippi State. So, you know, yeah, against ranked teams he struggled, but um, you know, everybody at Mississippi State struggles against ranked teams. Yeah, we've <laughs> we've seen what the talent the talent influx has been able to do with that stat so far. Well, and they're seeing that right now in Mississippi State, right? I mean, yeah. they're begging for Mullen back at this point <laughs> because of the way things are going over there. So he has a knack for being able, like I said, for being able to find the mismatch and isolate it. And that is a skill, right? Like it is a skill to be able to say, hey, that particular corner, you know, in the midway in the second quarter, that's the guy we can take advantage of. Or to say, you know what? 
Trask is really good at throwing over the middle to Trask. We're going to spend the whole first half sending him over the middle to occupy two DBs, and that's going to free up guys underneath, or that's going to free up some wide receivers um, on crossing routes over the middle. And, you know, there's a reason why Freddie Swain is wide open over the middle. It's because there's two guys being committed to Kyle Pitts. And and so, you know, that doesn't take anything away from Swain. I mean, he's a big part of the offense, but it certainly helps to have that guy out there occupying a lot of the defense's attention. And that's directly related to the really the catch 22 that Mullen's trying to put teams in. And we saw that against Tennessee too. I mean, the deep touchdown that Trask hit was a direct response to them double teaming Pitts. And then that, that opened up, I think it was Swain, but maybe it was Hammond. I can't remember, but on the deep throw down the post, um, you know, that was opened up because of what the tight end was doing. So he's just really good at doing that sort of stuff, putting his personnel in the right spot. And it turns out that that's something McIlwain was not good at. And, or at least Nussmeyer wasn't. And that's why, that's why he's not here anymore because they were averaging 20 points a game. And now, you know, Florida scores 20 points. Everybody goes crazy. Yeah. And you, well, you pointed out in your article as well, you know, plenty of reasons and, and, you know, it, it, Examples uh, in that statement that you made about Dan Mullen and, and being a, a you know quote unquote wizard there, and you know whether it's drawing up plays or or putting players in position to be successful, d- development, hiring a coaching staff, drawing up plays, uh, you know Dan Mullen gives his fan base confidence uh, in, in their head coach. Uh, a lot of uh, respect Florida's getting because of Dan Mullen taking a roster, as you said, Jim McElwain failed failed with and, and turning it into a, a top 10 team to end his first year, continuing that halfway through year two, the swamp is back to being the swamp again, where, where big games are happening and the crowd is getting into it. He's beating rivals. He's winning top 10 games. Florida's in the spotlight two weeks in a row as the game of the week. Uh, Florida is back in the conversation. Is Florida back? You know, that that's tough to say right now because we just need more years of this, more consistency of this. But you can't deny the start and you can't deny the confidence that it'll get there uh, with, with Dan Mullen. And look, we got lucky. Chip Kelly's not head coach. That worked out pretty well. <laughs> Chip Kelly, you know, that, that worked out pretty well. You have still what many label a dumpster fire out there west in Tallahassee, another year two coach. Scott Frost has not taken that big jump that many thought he would in Nebraska in year two. Florida hit a home run when they were looking for their coach, uh, you know, just uh, you know two seasons ago. Well, I mean, so I, I, I think Mullen is an excellent coach. I hesitate to say home run because he hasn't won the SEC yet, and he hasn't won a national championship yet, at least not as, not as the head coach. And to be honest, that's the Gator standard, right? He keeps talking about the Gator standard. At some point, that's what you got to do. And, and until he does that, I'm not going to say Florida's back because Florida being back means winning those sorts of games consistently and eventually being the favorite, right? Being the hunted. And right now, Florida's the underdog, and that's fun. It's it's really it's really entertaining to do that and to, you know, to be able to sort of bow up your chest after, after Florida beats Auburn, after nobody really picked them. Um, and Mullen's doing an excellent job, but, but, but I'm going to, I'm going to reserve judgment on whether it's a home run until we start seeing trophies. And one thing I do think though, that I, that we need to give him some credit for, and sometimes it drives me crazy, but part of that's just because I'm a fan at heart as well. But the, you know, one of the things I think people, people should take note of is he stuck with Felipe Franks for an extended period of time because he thought Franks was the best guy for the job. Now, Franks gets hurt, obviously, this year, and so isn't playing. But I think he he has a level of trust with his players that he's not going to shuffle them in and out for one mistake or one screw-up. And, you know, we saw that with the offensive line this week where he had the exact same starting offensive line that he's had all season long. Now, they made some changes by the time the fourth quarter came around. 
but you know, those guys know that they're going to get opportunities to go out there and redeem themselves, even if they make mistakes. I think that goes a long way. I mean, if you remember the Michigan game in 2017 that Frank started, it was like, you know, he, he fumbled once and all of a sudden, all of a sudden McElwain yanked him out of the game and he didn't show up again for another couple of games. And, you know, if you thought he was the best guy going into that game, he's still the best guy in the third quarter, even if he's struggling. And, and McElwain never really had that that level of trust with his players. And I think, I think that showed through. And I think Mullen does a really good job of building that with his staff. You can clear, or with, with the guys on the team, you can clearly see that those guys believe in him, that they believe he's going to give them a game plan that helps him win. And then he's going to give them an opportunity to screw up. I mean, you know, Townsend misses that fake punt. Um, I don't know whether that's a call by Mullen or whether that's a, uh, he's, he, yeah, he, post game. He did say it was, he, he said was, it he, was, but is yeah. that protecting his punter? Uh, yeah. I know. Or, or is yeah. that, you know, is that the reality? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. No one's going to know the answer to that question. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where if it if he has given him the freedom to do that sort of thing and it gets screwed up, all right, fine. Same thing with Trask, right? I mean, he's growing right now in terms of being able to hold on to the ball when he gets hit. That's certainly something that needs to be worked on. Um, you know, there are a couple of people who reached out to me and told me, you know, that they actually timed the amount of time he had on a couple of those fumbles. And it was like under two and a half seconds. So, you know, whether it's necessarily his fault or not on all of them, it doesn't matter. You still need to hold on to the ball when you get hit. And, you know, he's going to learn through those mistakes. And he's and it's not like Mullen's just shuffling in Emory Jones every time Trask makes a mistake. It's like, you know, you get an opportunity to make a few mistakes. If he makes too many, obviously, you bring the other guy in. But I do think there's value to sort of the steady hand and believing in your players and believing that they're going to be able to overcome those mistakes. Um, one of these days, they're either going to have to play a clean game or they're going to get bit. Mm-hmm. But up until this point, they've been able to play really sort of messy games and still come out on top. And I, I think that's a testament to these guys being able to play carefree because they know they're not going to get yanked the minute they make one mistake. All right, I'm labeling it a home run for the point we're at right now. Yes, uh, of course, of course, the expectation is trophies and, and SEC championships and beating Georgia for one. Hopefully that comes in about a month's time, uh, of course. But, uh, you know, you're from, from where we're at now, October 7th in a season and a half, that, that's where I'm coming up with the home run. Well, I mean, look, 16-3 and three in two <laughs> years. Obviously, the, the Chip Kelly is the savior article that I wrote two years ago, thankfully never actually published. And uh, so Ooh, I, thought man, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was a terrible idea to hire him, I swear. Um, but <laughs> Chip Kelly should have hired us as his publicist. <laughs> I mean, you know what? His track record in Oregon was really good. Yeah. I, I don't blame UCLA for hiring him. I don't blame Scott Strickland for trying to hire him, but it's obviously been a disaster out there at UCLA. Hey, I do have the audio, too, where Dan Muller was my choice number one. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really start talking Chip Kelly to look like it was going to happen. Well, Sykes wanted Taggart, so I've got, I've got, yes. that, I've got so, you know, the funny thing is, is if you do this long enough, you're going to say something that makes you look really, really stupid. So, uh, you know, may as well get it over with when it, <laughs> may as well get it over with early in the coaching search. But yeah, I, I think, I think everything Mullen's done on the field has been fantastic. I think everybody knows how we feel about, about the recruiting and and where that stands and and what he's really going to have to overcome in terms of historical trends if he's going to win those trophies with recruiting that's at the level that it's at and that doesn't mean he doesn't have good players it just means it's not at the level that most teams in fact all teams that have won national titles are recruiting at so you know it it, it remains to be seen he does things that are special when it comes to coaching that you don't see all coaches do which is great because it means that you know 
you've got those little sort of hidden things within the game that get them the wins um, in games where maybe they shouldn't pull it out. And eventually he's going to do something that's going to get them a win that they, they had no business getting. And, you know, he hasn't necessarily done that this year yet, but you know, you compare him to Kirby smart, you compare him to Taggart, you compare him to, to Ed Orgeron. He's the guy I want there on the sideline. And, and, you know, I, I think, um, I think he's proven that it's, I mean, obviously he's been the best hire of that class. They couldn't have gotten anybody better at that particular point in time, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the trophies, my friend. Yeah, here we go. I mean, at, at least, you know, game day in town in that stadium on Saturday, uh, dating back to last year as well. And, you know, we discussed this kind of toward the end of last year and maybe the, even the expectations coming into this year, but, I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing we can say about Dan Mullen and what he's brought to the Florida program is Florida football is fun again. Yeah, well, it's nice to be able to score some points and like feel like the offense isn't just going to be anemic the minute it goes out and having to rely on the defense. I mean, that 2012 season with Muschamp was fun in its own way, but God, yeah. was it frustrating, especially the game against Georgia where they just kept turning the ball over. And, you know, the, and, and, in the years where they weren't all that great under Muschamp, it just felt like a slog, right? I mean, you, you almost hoped that that the defense would would force a turnover, and it's like they'd get they'd get tackled after an interception at the you know at the twenty, and you'd be like, well, I guess that's a field goal. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to convert that into a touchdown, and, and we don't have that now, right? Now you expect them to turn. Um, to turn turnovers into points. You expect them to be able to go down the field. Hell, it's like three straight games now where they've gone right down the field for a touchdown yeah. on, on their first drive. And it's it's obviously a huge advantage to be up seven nothing before you've really even, you know, before before the 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 smoke from the fireworks is even cleared and there. Yeah, I mean that was a huge issue last year and it's been, you know, it, it kind of remedied itself in the first half of the season. Yeah, it's funny. Last year they got off the slow starts, but they didn't turn the ball over at all. Right. This year they've gotten off the really fast starts. They turned <laughs> the ball over like five times a game. So, you know, one of these days we're going to harness both of these things, bring them together, and it's going to be like a 42 to 7 win over a really good team just because they. Saturday they night in Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, man. I'd rather have it in Jacksonville than Baton Rouge if I have to choose, but yes, uh, I'll take can. either one right now. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll get into that conversation, I think, a little bit too. Uh, so, yeah, before we get there, though, um, you've got to go try UFM underwear, guys. You know, it's hot out there. First week of October, still hot out there. Uh, if you were out there tailgating in Gainesville this past weekend, uh, you can attest to that uh, there. So, whether you're tailgating or working, you do need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company, so if you shop there, you are shopping local, and they have you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for it all. Go try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. So with all the uh, all the feel-good stuff, of course, we just got out for Florida's big win over Auburn and, and, and kind of where the program stands as a, a top-10 team right now. Going to be tough. Uh, to go to Baton Rouge coming up this weekend and and go get a win at LSU. Um, still a good chance all of Florida's goals are still attainable. 
even with a loss in that game. But uh, but that's what Dan Mullins built here. You know, that's what a six and zero starts get. That's what a six and zero start gets you right now this season. For the second week in a row, Will, this is as big as it gets in another top ten matchup. Um, you know, the better you are, the more big games you play in, especially in the SEC. Florida and LSU has become one of those, you know, one of the biggest robberies in recent history in college football. So much on the line for both teams again this year. You know, everyone has fallen in love with LSU, but they have yet to play a team with you know a, a passing defense. Most still question Florida and still want one more signature win. And that could come Saturday night in Baton Rouge. Yeah, well, they certainly have an opportunity to make a statement. Two weeks in a row, you take down Auburn at home. Everybody goes, well, it was a home game. Bonex wasn't that great. He was a true freshman on the road. Um, you know, maybe that's a game you should have won. You go into LSU and you beat Joe Burrow, who, as of right now, is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. And the LSU defense and a team that ostensibly is more talented than Florida. And you, you go beat them at night on the road. Um, after you've had a really physical game the week before with Auburn, and I, I think that really says something about your team. One of the real positive things I think that comes out of that Auburn game is as physical as it was, they did get out of it with a relatively mm -hmm. minor, you know, the, the injuries are not mounting like they were earlier in the year, right? I mean, you had half the defense out against yeah. Tennessee, and they don't have that now. I mean, obviously, you got Pierce, and you hope he's okay. Certainly well, hope he sits out until he's, uh, until he's ready to go. Yeah, and counting the, the scare with Trask, too. Yeah, well, you got Trask, and I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people out there have sprained their knee, but it doesn't feel good on on Sunday after you've done it on Saturday. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how much prep he's been able to have, whether he's rusty going out there, whether he protects it. There, the first couple of throws he threw after he came back in the game, he looked a little bit, uh, looked like he was protecting it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll see how that how that looks on the road, particularly if he starts to get hit, because that is one of the things I think. You know, the Florida's offensive line is held up. Um, in pass protection, pretty well, but they haven't played against the they haven't played a stadium that sold out like LSU's, and you know some of those issues that Auburn had in terms of changing plays and yeah. and, and being able to hear cadences and that sort of stuff. Florida's gonna have to deal with that too. Now, I I think Mullen's better than Malzahn. I think he'll have a plan to do it, but this is a different animal for Kyle Trask. He is not he has not been in the Lions Den like this um, as of yet, and so we'll see what he's got. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people, and myself included, who've been very, very impressed with the way he's played thus far. Um, but, you know, th this is a new and different test for him. It's a new and different test for the offensive line, and it's a new and different test for the defense. Very I think it was very clear that if you could make Bo Nix try to beat them, that Florida was going to be in this game with Auburn. In fact, I picked them by two touchdowns because that's what I thought. I mean, I thought that they were going to put the ball, put the game on Knicks and that Knicks wasn't going to be able to come through. And that's what sort of happened. I think if you put the game on Burrow, eh, you know, you're going to have to make some real big plays on the back end for your defensive backs. And certainly up until now, the defensive backs, especially the guys who are out there starting now, have been up to the task. But like I said, this is a little bit different animal. Yeah, of course, you know, I'll have the LSU preview later this week. Got a couple good guests lined up uh, from the LSU side. Uh, Josh Booty from former LSU quarterback, Will. He'll join me uh, there. So uh, we'll get to, you know, break down this LSU passing offense from him. But, Will, one stat I'll go ahead and share uh, before I get to the LSU preview later this week. Uh, LSU opponents, pass defense, yards per game rank so far this year. Georgia Southern leads the way, and they rank. 103rd in pass defense of yards per game uh, this year. Texas at 126. Vanderbilt, 118. Utah State, 114. 
LSU has not played a pass defense that ranks out of the 100s there. So, of course, LSU contributes to that a little bit since they played there, uh, but not a good look there. Uh, this LSU offense is better. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they are. They're much better. Joe Burrow is throwing the ball well. Joe Brady's come in and, and really opened up this offense with the athletes that they have at receiver. They have yet to play a pass rush like this from Florida or the defensive backfield uh, from Florida. Florida ranks 18th, by the way, uh, all in yards per game uh, rank given up. And uh, Florida's uh, opponents, their pass offense ranked yards per game there. So, as I said, Florida hasn't really played in a passing offense uh, like LSU's. Miami actually comes in tops here, the 11th ranked yards per game. Um, passing offense. Kentucky comes in at 88th, Tennessee 86th, Auburn 105th, LSU ranks second in that category. So it is going to be will strength on strength. Florida's defensive line is going to have to come ready to play. Uh, Jabari Zuniga should be back this game. You get to team him with Jonathan Grenard, uh, something we have not seen in, in a good bit. Uh, you know, it basically happened early in the Kentucky game, so we didn't even see it that game. So only really two games we've got to see those that tandem come together. As you said, Florida's healthy. All the DBs are back there. This is going to be a matchup. Uh, uh, you know, it could, you know, could be, could be one for the ages here, Will. Yeah. I mean, I think this one's going to come down to turnovers. I mean, yeah. you got Burroughs throwing three picks. He's averaging 11 and a half yards per attempt. So his yards above replacement is 3.33 coming into here. That's, that's to a level. Um, that's Heisman trophy level. Trask has been very, very good. He's, he's averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. His yard for the year is 0.54. So um, very good, not necessarily elite. He wasn't, he wasn't real good in that game against Auburn, particularly in the second half. Um, but but obviously, anytime you're above average, I mean, that's what you would hope from your second string quarterback. I, I think it's interesting. This is the first time Florida is going to go into a game where they're at, at a disadvantage on both sides of the ball in terms of the statistics. So, you know, you mentioned Florida being 18th in yards per play allowed. LSU's 14th. And then you look at yards, yards, yards per game. Will oh, OK, well, yep, yep, yep. So yards per play allowed is usually what I use. So Florida's 18th and LSU's 14th. And then yards per play gained, Florida's 32nd and LSU is 7th. And really the differentiator there isn't in the passing game, it's in the rushing game. So Florida's 92nd in yards per rush and LSU's 56th. So, um, you know, those numbers, you can throw them out. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the big thing is, is that Florida just has not been able to hold on to the ball. You can't do that against teams that are better than you, and you can't do that against teams on the road. So if if Florida has four fumbles in this game, they're going to lose by 30. And, and that's really what this boils down to. If they don't turn the ball over and they play a very crisp game, I think Florida can be in it. I think they may even pull it out in the end. But this is not one of those where you can goof around for three quarters and, and give LSU 14 chances. It's not going to work that way this game. LSU's a better team than Auburn. I think everybody acknowledges that. Um, I got to be honest, if you'd have told me they'd have four fumbles and they'd have a fake punt that they didn't convert, I would have told you they wouldn't have beaten Auburn. (laughs) And the fact that they were able to win that game, I think says something about the quality of the team. But, you know, we mentioned early in the year that I wasn't worried about the turnovers against Miami or even against Kentucky because Florida had not really shown a proclivity to do that. Even in, even in their poor season in 2017, they didn't turn the ball over a ton. And, you know, it has just been every game, every game that hasn't included, you know, uh, an FCS opponent, they've turned the ball over three or four times. And 
you know, you can make an excuse for every individual turnover likely and say, well, if the offensive line had picked that up, well, if Trask had, had read the blitz, well, if he hadn't thrown it a double coverage, like you can do that for every one of them. But at the end of the day, if you turn the ball over four times a game, at some point that's going to come back and bite you and it's going to bite you against teams that are better than you. So, um, that's what I'd really be looking for. And, and, and vice versa as well, right? Burrow obviously is riding high, has a whole lot of confidence. Um, and, and Florida's defense has been a turnover machine as well, which is one of the reasons why they've been able to overcome mm-hmm. all the turnovers that they've had is that basically they, they turn the ball over and they just get it right back. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, especially against Auburn, it was sort of a comedy of errors from both sides, but you know, and, and the little things like the penalty after the Auburn fumble where they have the ball at the two yard line and they get driven back 15 yards for pulling somebody off the pile. Like that's I mean, what I'm, not, I mean, I'm not trying to make an excuse to, but you're really going to call a penalty on trying to pull somebody off a pile. Yeah, it's something they put in as an area of emphasis a couple of years ago. I'm not entirely sure why they put it in, probably to avoid fights. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, is you have to know the rule, right? Yeah. Like, And you've got the ball at the two-yard line. Even with this offense and its inability to run the ball, you get that ball and you punch it in, and all of a sudden you're up, what, 14-3 to three at that mm-hmm. point? Um, you know, instead it's going the other direction after a, after a fumble that, you know, if the turf monster doesn't get Brown on his way, you know, it, it's it's 13-14 or I guess 13-7, and Auburn's ahead. It's a whole different ball game. So, you know, those sorts of things didn't kill them against Auburn because Auburn made some of the same mistakes that they did. One of the, I I haven't watched enough LSU tape to know, because I know that watching them last year against UCF, because I was actually rooting for LSU in that game (laughs) was so frustrating because they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. And I know they haven't done that this year yet because they haven't really played anybody who's, I mean, maybe Texas you could say was, was high level, but like you mentioned, they don't have a very good pass defense. Now that they're playing somebody with a pretty decent pass defense, you know, are they going to make those mistakes just like they did last year, or have they sort of buttoned those up? And you know, again, if if both teams play a clean game, I think it's understandable to think LSU may win it. Uh, but if Florida plays a clean game, it can force a couple of turnovers from LSU. Obviously, they've got a good shot. Yeah, it does make you wonder if the teams being battle tested uh, comes into this because LSU's been able to coast for a month. Basically, they've played, uh, I think, an FCS opponent. They've played Vanderbilt. They played Utah State. They had a bye week in there as well. They're banged up. Uh, they thought they'd get some players in, uh, back. They have gotten some players back this week, but they're a banged up team coming into this Florida game. Uh, as I said, it hasn't really haven't really been battle tested so far this year. So we'll see if that plays uh, a factor here. But you know, with, with Trask and his injury, uh, and looking you no know, looking like he'll be able to, to go, we'll see where Damian Pierce his. Prognosis as we go along, concussion protocol probably more than likely for him. Uh, Jabari Zuniga getting back, you know, all those pieces will be integral in upsetting LSU. Uh, Trask, you know, obvious reasons there. You know, I think Pierce will be needed, Will, because I think if Florida can run the ball, you know, of course we've been saying it all year, but I think it running the ball is more important this game to keep that LSU offense on the sideline. And that, to, that, that is the easiest path to victory for Florida in this game is being able to find a way, finding a way to run the ball, control the clock. Of course, the short passing game is going to be there to help the run game. Uh, but you want to be able to, to run it with your running backs. Then Pierce, you know, he'll need to be a cog there to help out P. Ryan. P. Ryan can't, you know, can't take all the carries there. Malik Davis can help some too. Don't get me wrong, but you, you'd like to have the three-headed monster there, especially if the run game's working, so you can just keep those fresh backs in there and keep that LSU offense uh, on the sideline. So, and for Zaniga to come back, you know, this this is the 
the, the most open offense and best quarterback Florida has faced so far this season. Maybe the best they're going to play all season uh, as far as, you know, quarterback and just how wide open uh, this offense has become for, for, for LSU. So, you know, this, the, the, the impact Jabari Zuniga can make by living in the backfield in tandem with, with Grenard is an aspect that this defense can that can rely on to completely change this game because LSU, to me, I just, yeah, going back to how them being tested uh, by defense, I just don't think they've seen anything like they're going to see with this defensive line from Florida. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Whether them not being tested means that Florida has an advantage, or whether Florida coming in off of a physical game against Auburn yeah. means LSU has an advantage. And right, because sometimes you can you, sometimes you can ride the wave. You know, like Florida in a big win. Sometimes that bleeds over into the next week, or sometimes, like you said, it, it, you could just be beat up. Well, and that was one of the comments I think when. Uh, when UCF lost to to Pitt, right, was that it was the first time in this entire run that they had played two Power Five opponents, uh, you know, back to back, and then in the second game they didn't look like the same team that they did in the first game, and you know that that's a possibility coming into this one, especially if Trask isn't moving around very well. Now I'm not entirely sure why they spent the whole fourth quarter running him. Uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily something I would have done had I had a quarterback with a gimpy knee. So maybe they know a lot more than we do, and it's really kind of you know he had his Paul Pierce moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and came back and and everything is and everything is fine but you know one of the things that you mentioned was was sort of the short passing game being there in the running game Florida's gonna have to rely on the I, I think Florida's gonna have to rely on the big play so Florida had five explosive plays they had the 64 yard pass to Swain they had a couple of 20 plus yard passes to Swain um, they had the, a 32 yard pass to fits to pits on the on the back shoulder throw then they had the 88 yard 88-yard run for Pirine. Now, some of those ended up in fumbles, but but 17 of their of their 24 points came from you know one of those explosive plays. They had five explosive plays for 230 yards. So their other 67 plays only got 168 yards, so two and a half yards per play when they weren't hitting those big ones. And you know that's sort of what happens when you've got corners who are sitting on routes. And they sort of highlighted it during the CBS broadcast that some of the defensive backs for uh, for for Auburn were sitting on some of those crossing routes right at the sticks and those sorts of things. And I think they're going to have to hit a couple of deep shots. I think they're going to have to loosen up LSU's defensive backs. And I think LSU's defensive backs are aggressive enough that they probably come in sort of sitting at the sticks. So if the offensive line can hold up, you'll probably have the opportunity to run a double move or two and get a guy open back behind the defense. That I think is where they're going to have to attack because I don't think they're going to be. I mean, I, I don't know that we have any evidence that they're going to be able to run the ball a whole lot. Yeah. Better. I mean, even the 88 yard run by Pirine should have been a two yard should have been a two yard game, right? I mean, if if uh, if Britt, the linebacker for Auburn, wraps him up, I mean, it, it's a two yard gain, and we just keep going, right? But Pirine bounces off of him, and kudos to him for doing that. But it, I mean, it was a blown blocking assignment on that that allowed Britt to come in and, and, and hit Pirine. Pirine shakes him and goes the rest of the way, and we already talked about how the scheme sort of opened that up, but you know, and sometimes your running back has to do that, but you can't rely on that. You want to actually execute. And Are they going to be able to do that consistently on the road when they're a half step late when, when the ball snapped, those sorts of things. I, I think it's a tall task to ask the offensive line to support the run game in a way they haven't all year. I, mm -hmm. I think one of the things they're going to have to do is stretch the defense early on to sort of open up some of the running plays. And then Mullen's going to have to get a little bit inventive. I mean, he's been running some end arounds with Hammond, 
Um, you know, we already mentioned the little pitch play out to uh, out to Pirine that opened that up. He spread out the four wide receivers to give Pirine a little bit more of a chance to gain a few yards after contact. So, man, there was a pitch to Davis too that was there and it didn't happen. And then a play later, there's a turnover. <laughs> yep. I mean, again, that those things happen. You're going to see that. Obviously, they were able to overcome it, but. Yep. Um, and it's one of those things where this has sort of been the story of Florida all year long, right? That that it's not just the offensive line, that everyone has to do their job. And they have not been able to consistently piece that together. And they haven't really picked the, picked each other up when there's, an, when there's an error. That's one of maybe the positive things, to, or one of the real positive things beyond just the touchdown to come out of Piran's long run is that that was something where it could have been a two-yard gain. Mm-hmm. But instead, he shakes off the tackler and, and takes the rest takes it to the house. And they really need guys against LSU to do that, right? Somebody who um, who makes a catch where maybe they shouldn't have, or or you know the running back breaks a tackle and and extends a drive because he gets a first down, or you know Pitts catches one and he's seven yards, you know it's a third and ten and he catches it seven yards away and sort of drags guys three yards for a first down. Like those are the kinds of plays that they're going to have to make, um, and they're probably going to have to convert a few fourth downs as well. I hope. Mullen really comes out and plays this as the underdog and goes for it in some situations. You know, you remember, I think it was the 2007 game where, you know, Tebow was playing against LSU and LSU just kept going for fourth downs and it really gave them sort of an advantage in the game. I, I think that's one of the things Florida may have to do in this one to get a, get, get one of those hidden advantages and maybe an extra possession or two just because they're not putting it back over to LSU. Ooh, man. Feels good to have two good Big weeks in a row, Will. Man, does it ever? I mean, it really beats. It beats two years ago, that's for sure. You know where, oh, yeah. where we're yeah. heading to this game, and uh, and pretty much all was lost. And we're sitting here going, "Well, you know, maybe we can make the the Outback Bowl <laughs> if we went out from here." And you, you know, now it's we're a legitimate playoff contender. I mean, you can't you, you can't undersell that, right? I mean, Florida. Yeah. If Florida wins out. At this point, and and actually, they don't even have to win out. They can. That's one of the things we were talking before we came on yeah. air. That they can lose this game to LSU, and it doesn't impact anything. You know, they. I mean, obviously, if you lose by forty, maybe that makes a difference. Yeah. it's harder to put you in a playoff at that point. But even still, I think you can lose this game by thirty points. And if they beat Georgia and win out, and then go to the SEC championship game and win. It won't matter. So it's it's kind of weird to have an LSU game that doesn't matter. I mean, last year you already had the Kentucky loss, and so the the game against LSU, if they'd have lost that game, they still could have beaten Georgia, and it would have you know, and Georgia still would have won the East. That's not the case this year. At this point, the East is essentially, assuming they take care of business against Missouri and South Carolina and, and Vanderbilt, you know, the East is essentially going to come down to the game in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks, and. And so it's sort of an interesting dynamic because these teams hate each other so much. You've got the rivalry aspect of it, but at least on Florida's side, this game is relatively minimal when it comes to probably where they're going to end up in the SEC East. Yeah, I mean, Florida's playing with a little bit of house money here, uh, of course, because as you said, like you, of course, we're not trying to say we want to see our team lose or anything. That's not at all what we're trying to get across here. It's just you can afford to. It's hard to go undefeated in college football. It, it, it just is. That's just the reality of it, especially, you know, where Florida, Florida is at right now. You you can't afford a loss uh, to LSU and, and, you know, bounce back and go beat South Carolina and Georgia. And everything is still in play uh, for the rest of the season there. So, you know, with that said, you know, maybe – 
maybe this makes this team play a little a little loose. Uh, we'll have to see how Kyle Trask reacts to this big time environment uh, that he's yet to see uh, as a starting quarterback there. But you know, you can empty the kitchen sink. You can throw everything at LSU. You can you know go all out for this game because you know there's there's a little bit of an insurance policy there. Yeah, I mean, we do not want Florida to lose. Obviously, we're fans. We want them to go undefeated, but this isn't the ACC. I mean, we, you, know, you play tough opponents week after week after week, and you play teams that have recruited better or you know as well or better than you every week as well. And that's part of what makes it fun. It's also part of what makes it a gauntlet, and that's part of what Florida's building towards and trying to prove that they um, that they belong in that upper echelon. And that, I guess, is sort of what this, you know, regardless of what what it means for the SEC East and those sorts of things, you know, to sweep your West opponents to prove that, you know, you you can stand toe to toe with the big boys in the other side of the conference, I think is a, is a big deal when it comes to recruiting. It's a big deal when it comes to the perception of the program. And it's a big deal sort of in terms of, you know, the narrative we talked about earlier. I mean, you beat Auburn, you beat LSU. The narrative cannot be, oh, you got lucky. Because at that point you took on teams that had, mm-hmm. you know, a true freshman who was lighting people up, and 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 you were able to stop him. And then you take a guy who was in the Heisman Trophy conversation, and if you beat him too, I mean, you know, at, at that point you're you're a top five team, and no one can take that away from you. And 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 that's sort of what Florida's aiming for. So I'm excited to see what they do. I'm excited to see some of the adjustments that they make because they are not going to play the same defense against LSU. Mm-hmm. They played against Auburn, and. Um, you know, for a team that two years ago basically played the exact same defense every week under Randy Shannon, um, it's kind of cool to see Grantham change the scheme week to week, and and we'll see what he's got up his sleeve against LSU. Yeah, all right, well, I mean, uh, we kind of just talked LSU a little bit, but then uh, you'll have your preview uh, up later this week on Read Reaction. Absolutely, there will be a preview up for this one, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and uh, and this week I'm actually at home for the game, so. Um, <laughs> so I, I won't be visiting my nephew. So we'll, we'll have a article up, um, early Sunday morning for everybody to read after the game. Awesome. Awesome. That's where you can find Will Miles and his work at read and You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will anything else, man? Nah, just really appreciate everybody out there reading my stuff. Appreciate everybody. With her kind words when I posted about about the things going on with my family and and everybody's support, you know, this is something that we get to do that's that's really just sort of a fun a fun thing for us to participate in. So the fact that everybody comes along for the ride with us, I'm I'm very very appreciative of everybody who listens, everybody who reads, and and everybody who comments because uh, you know some of you probably know more about football than I do, but but you trust me for some of the opinions and I appreciate it. Absolutely, we get uh, some of the reviews on uh, uh, on iTunes that. Uh, you know, tell us everybody how how much they trust us and all the stuff that we bring and you know all the hellos I get in Gainesville and, and sitting in the swamp with uh, people who listen to the podcast, walking through the uh, you know the hallways uh, there and then and the uh, alleyways of the swamp and everybody telling telling me hello and stuff. There, thanks for reaching out. Uh, you know, telling me hey and all that stuff. Glad uh, glad you guys get get a whole lot out of this. Last week was a big week, Will. Of course, with the big game. So all thanks for all the listens and uh, reads out there as well. Uh, for what we do. So as I said, that's Will Miles. You can find his stuff at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.